If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have a phenomenal guest on the line today. I'm talking to Ravi Jayagopal. Ravi is a co-founder and co-developer of digitalaccesspass.com. It's a leading membership plugin and marketing automation platform for WordPress. In addition to that, Ravi has also started several other um, apps and tools for the internet. He's the creator of the coolcastplayer.com, the prettiest podcast player on the planet. He's also written several books, four books to be precise, but the one I read recently that I particularly love had to do with um, podcast promotions which he talked about in depth, you know, how to build a better podcast, everything from like having guests on the show, being a better host, being a better podcast creator and producer, as well as distribution and marketing to get you to your 1,000 true friends. So I'm pleased to have Ravi on the show to tell us a little bit about himself and his business experiences. So Ravi, welcome to the show. Hey Chief, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Great. So, Ravi, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you get to to start living the uh, internet entrepreneurial dream in America? <laughs> so, the the seeds of entrepreneurship were sown in in my childhood by my father and my mother. Actually, they were both entrepreneurs, so to speak. And my father was uh, he was uh, he was in the film industry and he was a writer and director. So he worked a lot from home. When he was working on Hello? You know, scripts. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, there's some background noise coming from your end. Is okay, the... there's, there's there's a plane going. Oh, okay. Somewhere okay. Up. okay. Okay. All right. Give, Just... it, a, yeah, give okay. it a second. All right. Let it pass. And then tell me where I should start from. Okay, no problem. So your dad was in Bollywood. That's correct. So oh, nice. So let me start. Let me start that segment. The plane okay. has gone. Yes. So this, uh, the seeds of entrepreneurship were sown into my head by my parents, my father and my mother, who were both uh, entrepreneurs, so to speak. My father was uh, in the film industry, South Indian film industry. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, you, you could loosely term it as Bollywood. <laughs> uh, even though Bollywood is more like Bombay mm-hmm. and Hindi movies, uh, but it's the South Indian version of that. Okay. And so he used to work from home a lot, and he... You know, while he was working on scripts, I used to see people, his uh, assistants and everybody come home and he would work with them for hours uh, or he would just be in his office by himself. He would he could take a break whenever he wanted. We could we would go for a mo- movie in the, in the middle of the week, you know, and, or go and randomly make up uh, things and just go. So he would say, you want to go go here? And then we're like, OK, and then let's go. Middle of the week, no thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, I have to ask my boss, I have to take permission to come yeah. home early, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. Mm-hmm. So I was spoiled by that lifestyle and I grew up thinking, oh, I could have that too. Yeah. But it took me a long, like 15 years before I could get to that point uh, because I had to pay my dues, yeah. uh, so to speak. So I started a couple of businesses uh, in India. I was living back in India at the time. I started a couple of business thinking, 
I can let the business run by itself and then I will have time to do whatever I want. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and I had a real brick and mortar businesses. I had two of them and it took took up pretty much 18 hours of my time. Mm. Uh, you know, employees and uh, people not calling in sick. I had to fill up fill in for them. And so it was a constant struggle. And uh, I had been doing a lot of online dabbling at the time, uh, creating websites for friends. This was around 95, 96. Oh, I was wow. creating really? websites. Yeah, uh, creating websites for friends and and family and stuff. And then I said, you know what? I, I was trying to, I created my own website. My wife uh, was pregnant with my daughter at the time. And uh, we wanted to pick a name for her, so I went online, and I couldn't find any good websites. Mm. And uh, so I decided I'll start my own website. So okay. I started doing the research, and I uh, went through a whole bunch of books and and uh, all kinds of scriptures and text and, and stuff, and then I put together a website. And that was my first website, official website uh, back then. Uh, it was called Baby Names India. And so that's where my online entrepreneurship started. Then I was trying to sell something. Then I said, you know what? I need to sell something and make money. Back mm -hmm. then, there was no, no AdSense. Mm -hmm. So I had to find a way to monetize it. So I put, uh, I tried to get all kinds of advertisers, and a lot of them would reject me because my site was in India, and they were not catering to Indian audience at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I said, uh, let me sell something. And so I... I I chose one of the uh, leading Indian books from a popular Indian author about baby names. So I wanted to sell it online. So I created a website and I, could, I had to figure out how to do the payments because back then, PayPal was not there yet. Yes. I, don't, I don't believe so. And then there was not the other stuff like ClickBank and there's so many options now, mm -hmm. uh, it's like 50 options for selling online, just Stripe and Authorize.net and everything else. But back then, there was nothing. Yeah. And there were like three or four merchant services and all of them refused to take on an Indian merchant because they said it's high risk you know we don't know uh, if, if you run away with the money we don't know what to do we can't come there to to uh, file a lawsuit on you so they would not accept it and finally I found one merchant I don't even know the name right now they were charging ten dollars a transaction okay wow and thirty percent of the total transaction, so it's a fixed cost of ten dollars, mm -hmm. and and a thirty percent fee on top of that. So I had, if I sold something for twenty dollars, I would lose ten dollars mm -hmm. right off the top, mm -hmm. and then thirty percent or something like that of the twenty dollars. So <laughs> out of the thirty percent of the twenty dollars, like six dollars, so I would lose sixteen dollars mm -hmm. and keep four. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So I I ended up selling the book for a really high price five times the price of the book because I had to, even then I would make like barely a couple of dollars profit. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, the first person to sell you know, online and ship it all over the world from India. And, and uh, a lot of people, I started getting a lot of sales because back then even Amazon didn't uh, carry that specific book, book because yeah. it was it not being published elsewhere. It was only being published in India. So I guess they didn't have the tie up or nobody had thought of, you know, putting it on Amazon. So I was getting a lot of sales from that. And and then there then came the other issues of the hike fees I was paying. And then it would take about sixty days for them to send me the check. Oh. Which means which means uh, I would 
I would be owed thousands of dollars. Yeah. And it would take me 60 days for them to send a check, which would come in the mail. Yeah. Uh, after 60 days, if they sent me a check, it would take another two weeks to, for me to get it. And then I had to deposit it. And then my bank would send the check back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. to collect the payment. So it would take another 30 to 60 days from then. So I was almost like on a four-month, uh, you know, Collection cycle. cycle and, yeah. yeah, and four months of thousands of dollars was too much for me to handle because yeah. I, I, I had all that uh, capital tied up. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is not working out. I have to go where the action is, and I started looking for a job at the time to get to the U.S. because I had to get an H-1B visa. visa. So uh, finally, I found found a job, and my wife also got one, and we moved here. And then uh, from there onwards, it's been a lot easier. By the time PayPal was here, ClickBank was there, uh, and uh, everything opened up. And I still had to, we came here to the U.S. in 2000, mm -hmm. and I still had to work for about 10 years, uh, nine, nine something years before I actually got my green card. Yeah. So, from that point, uh, my wife and I, we both quit our jobs mm -hmm. and uh, we moved to San Diego and we've been full-time entrepreneurs since then. Nice, nice. That's a nice story. So now you get to the U.S. in 2000, shortly after it's 9-11 uh, in 2001, if I remember correctly. You know, Yeah, we came here like six months before. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we came here in March and 9-11 happened uh, later that year. Wow. So so yeah. how, how did that affect your transition into American life? Because you were just six months in there and you hadn't like, you know, gotten assimilated, gotten used to everything there before you start like working in earnest and then start thinking of doing a side hustle. How did that period affect you and your wife? Oh, it was, it was, uh, it affected us a lot. So basically it was a year and a half before 9-11 happened. I think 9-11 was 2001. Mm. So we, uh, we came here in 2000 and... Initially, it was fine. Multiple things happened, went wrong at the same time. It was the perfect storm of mm. issues. So first thing was the dot-com crash happened. Yeah. So the dot-com company that I had been hired for, it went under. And so, so let me say that again. So, yeah. so the dot-com company that I was hired for went under. They they. They were like the typical dot-com company back in the day, and that was the uh, 2K rush. But mm -hmm. I was not hired for for the um, 2K issue. I was hired for an actual startup, internet startup, and they lost money because, like all other startups at the time, they thought, you know, you just put up a website and you'll make millions of dollars. Yeah. That didn't happen. So they ran out of money. And they started laying off people, and I was one of the people to go. So I had to scramble and find another job. So I found... Uh, Found another job in New York. We moved from New Jersey, where we stayed like almost a year. From there, we moved to New York, and then my wife also she found a um, employee job. And again, we, we still had to stay with the consulting firm because, of, at least for me, uh, because uh, of the green card situation. Mm -hmm. And then we we got an employee uh, job as an employee where they would process our green card. Mm -hmm. and boom, nine eleven happened and. Everything was put on hold, uh, mm. of course, because that was one of the most difficult period for, yeah. for the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's such a tragedy that you know, green card was the last thing on people's minds, and yeah. uh, and we were kind of stuck because we couldn't do anything about it. And if if we quit, left our jobs, it would mean starting the green card process all over again. Yeah. 
And they they started laying off people uh, in our company that my my wife and I, we were both working for the same company. Mm. And they started laying off people because of 9-11. And the economy was crashing. Everything went bad. The the dot-com bust happened. Mm -hmm. The bubble exploded. So people were losing money and houses. And and at the time, a lot of people, immigrants, they're, they're, who are just bought houses, who lost their jobs and their green card and everything else. You you had a lot of uh, reports that back in the back in the day that people would, would just drive their their car to the airport and just fly off back back to a, a, a different country because mm-hmm. they they lost their jobs, they lost their car. You know they they had no money mm-hmm. to pay for new house, new car, nothing. So they had no choice, and so people were just. Uh, abandoning their home and car and everything just packing up the bag overnight and leaving the country mm-hmm. so so it was a tough situation and i had to end up switching a couple of companies which actually delayed my green card process multiple times mm-hmm. which is why instead of taking three to four years it took about close to 10 years for mm-hmm. me to get started. yeah but but in that time though you you still persevered you still went through the process, even though it took three times longer. Because I mean, I know a lot of people that are born in the states or have, um, re- um, like, on citizenship or residency through family, don't understand what it means to be on a H-1B visa. I know right now it's been in the news a lot because of uh, Donald Trump planning to cancel it, but but it's one of those things where it brings really highly skilled people to come and work, and it's not one of the I hate to use the name they're using, which is like kind of getting cheap labor that yeah. that Americans can because people are actually highly skilled. You know, I worked on a H-1B for for a bit myself before I left the United States. You did also, and then you know that while you're in that situation, you can't just leave the job willy nilly. You always have to be constantly performing at a high level, or else you're gone. So I want people to understand that. Um, when you hear a story of somebody coming, persevering through all this and making it, it's it wasn't just like a walk in the park. Nothing was handed to Ravi, is what I'm trying to underscore here. Correct? Absolutely. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, a lot of tears in, <laughs> in a way that not literally, but sometimes literally too. Yeah. But it was a lot, we went through a lot of hardships, and I know that you know this is nothing like the hardships of people without food and water. So mm-hmm. it's still still a first world problem yeah uh, of true. you know having to uh having being forced to stay in a job you're still making a lot of money mm-hmm. you know most people uh high six figures and both both me and my wife and so we had a comfortable life no question about that we had a we bought a nice house we had a we had a couple of nice cars and our kids were going to uh you know they were going to public schools they we got the best care for them uh after school and everything else so we had a good life no question about that but you had to go. That was again. It was not given. Nothing was given. Everything was yeah, earned. Everything um, and it was because of our skills, our intelligence, and our ability to keep up with stuff. And we were both top performers at our jobs. So mm-hmm. it was not. It's not like they kept us because you know they were sympathetic towards us. Exactly. They, we were performing at a very high level, and mm-hmm. and the problem was also that if sometimes we we could, I, I was in a very bad situation once with a job. Mm-hmm. I had a. a verbally abusive boss and I could not quit the job for exactly, two years yeah. because yeah. if I quit my green card starts all over again so it yeah. was kind of like you're in kind of you know uh, first class prison so yeah. to speak white collar <laughs> prison yeah. so you have all the facilities you have the TV and everything you yeah. have the 
full table in the prison, but you're still in the prison. Yeah. So it, it was a it was a tough thing at at times, even though we had we had a great life and and we had to constantly revisit our priorities and mm-hmm. see, okay, if we go back, what's what's in store what's for us? What's in store? Yeah. And it was not just uh, the money because we we knew we could make money even back home, mm-hmm. going to India, but it was the lifestyle. Lifestyle. And uh, you know, raising them in in a better situation, better schools, and better future for them. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you we stay here, maybe they become citizens, and they can then decide what to do with their lives because they, then they don't have to worry about you know twenty years from now figuring out uh, oh how do I go to the U.S. How do I get into the top colleges or whatever. So th- we wanted to help them with that decision too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. I like that. So how where did the spark come from for you to start creating um? the apps you were creating because you created, uh, you started learning code while you were on the job part-time and then you started creating products. So walk us through your transition, your slow transition into full-time entrepreneurship with your side hustle. Right. So the side hustle was always meant to be a full-time hustle, right? So the job was more of something I had to do to stay. Do exactly. That's something I had to pay my dues. So I always thought of my job as, the part-time thing in the sense that even though I was working full-time and working 10, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes at my job because I had to perform at a high level because I can't afford to, you know, I can't be one of the guys who just goes to and punches the clock at 9 to 5 and comes back. Mm-hmm. So I had, I still had the competitive, competitive juice to say I have to do well at my job. I still have to do well with whatever projects I'm handling. I still have to be the top in my team. I had all those things. But I, that was still something that I had to just bear through in yeah. my mind that to get to my eventual goal of being a full-time entrepreneur. Again, that like like I said earlier, it was uh, planted in my head by my parents who were both entrepreneurs. My mom ran a school, uh, a full-time high school, like a kindergarten to high school uh, school, full-time. And uh, so I, I wanted to be a full-time entrepreneur and I, everything else was just my paying my dues and my journey everything else was part of the journey to get to where i wanted to get to so once i came to the u.s uh so i the earliest thing was like you know selling online was started with the baby names book mm-hmm. and then i then i said the, the publisher started charging me a lot of money because he, i was making a lot of sales for him so he figured this guy's making a lot of money so he jacked up the prices for me he, he was no longer giving me a, a wholesale discount mm-hmm. so i had to buy it near retail so i said you know what let me create a digital version. Mm. So I, I wanted to do uh, create an ebook and sell it online. And I started uh, figuring out what are the different ways to do it. I initially tried uh, to protect it using an exe file, executable file, which were only worked on Windows machines. I used to get a lot of people who bought it and said, hey, I'm on a Mac. I can't open your executable file. Because uh, once it was executable, I, there was some software at the time where I could lock it and send them a license key. So I, I stumbled upon mistakes after mistakes and to figure out everything else. And then I said, okay, let me do the PDF version, which is most universal. But then how do you protect the PDF from being downloaded by everybody? Mm-hmm. And back then, uh, you, you could easily hack anybody's uh, download page because PayPal, when you created a button, uh, as part of the button, you would put the URL of the thank you page. Mm. So if you went to a website uh, which had a PayPal button, you just did a view source you could see that the thank you page, what the download page was, where you'd be taken after the purchase. So you could just go there and people were just downloading the stuff mm-hmm. without paying you. So I said there has to be a better way and that's when I created uh, the very first download protector, I called it, 
so for PayPal, so PayPal Download Protector, which would use PayPal's APIs, I started dabbling with PHP code and uh, databases and stuff, and that's that's how I, you know, I just kept creating product after product. Every time I saw the need, I w- and I would, I was active in certain forums at the back then. It was the Warrior Forum and a couple mm-hmm. of other Digital Point, I think, um, which you could go and you can see people's people talking about various issues. Mm-hmm. So all I had to do was, you know, be uh, put my finger on the pulse by listening to what people were saying, and I could just churn out products because at that time. I was, I was working in a full-time job, and this was a side hobby that I absolutely loved. It, it didn't take any effort from me because this is what I love to do. I love, love to code, and I was I love to learn about marketing and how to create sales pages and how to create uh, urgency and all the elements of a sales page. So I was creating all that, and I was learning all that. So it was an absolutely fun hobby for me on the side. Mm, I love it. I love it. So that, that was the birth of Digital Access Pass, correct? Correct. Those were the elements. Okay. Digital Access Pass came much later in 2008. Okay. So these are the elements of everything I did up to then. That's what went into Digital yeah, Access Pass. So then, then the problem came of you know the first pro- problem I solved was how to protect co- content that you just sold, like a PDF yes. or a report or a Excel spreadsheet or XLS file or MP3 or whatever. And then the next part was uh, people would download it. And then three months later, they would say, hey, I lost the download. Can you email it to me? Mm-hmm. So there was no members area where they could go in and download it again. Mm. Right. So the next thing was, okay, how do I create a members area for these people? So I started trying to see if I could create a homemade version. And around that time, WordPress was really popular. I had my blog on, my, on WordPress since about 2005, maybe even earlier. So I had started using as one of the earliest users of WordPress. So I said, WordPress is a fantastic content management system. I don't have to code all the stuff of creating the page, managing the page, linking between the page. WordPress took care of everything else, mm-hmm. and it even allowed non-technical users to create pages, basic pages at the time. And they they could change the skin, the, the themes, and the colors, and everything else. So all I had to focus was uh, on was how to protect content within WordPress. And around that time, they released the plugins model, WordPress plugins they created, and that just took off. And then said, okay, we can we can create software as a plugin, which plugs into WordPress. So we don't have to worry about the content management part. We just worry about the functionality part. And then that's how DAP was born. And the, one of the main reasons behind DAP was I used to see people, all these big marketers, doing launches all the time. Mm-hmm. And they would they would do a launch on say. Uh, you know, website a.com, right? And then they would do this huge launch, $2,000, and mm-hmm. sell all this internet marketing information. And then the next time they launched it, now they knew that the new people coming in, if they gave access to them to the old website a.com, then these new people could download everything, watch all the videos, and then within a few days ask for a refund. refund yeah. So they ended up creating website to website b.com mm-hmm. right they would create a new domain and create a fresh new site just so they can publish the content uh, in in phases so that people can just download everything on day 1 and leave so that got me thinking hey if you can drip emails if you have if you have an email autoresponder why can't you have something like that for content yeah so that that's how i i invented the concept of content responder which is basically drip, dripping content so you could create content ahead of time, mm-hmm. just like create emails ahead of time and drip them more time. 
So I, I created the concept of content dripping where you could create the posts and pages and files and everything ahead of time and you can set it up in a queue and then it would drip slowly over time so that they can get everything all at once. And that's the basic idea of DAP. And, and from there, my wife joined along and uh, she, was the co- she was the co-founder and co-developer mm-hmm. and she t- took over like the, most of the coding and she, has, she uh, heads our entire development and support team and so she's the, like the face of the franchise to speak. Yeah, yeah, and, and I remember you saying somewhere that she, once she came on board, you went from like um, zero to almost 2,000% growth, which is phenomenal because um, that having that latency of growth inside the business just, show, just shows you that you were onto something like very important and then you just needed the focus to like unlock that and that's what your wife came in and did and then oh yeah so she was she was you know she's super smart much smarter than me so i always i used to tease her back back in the day that i I used to tell her if you're ever unhappy we should start a business together and you'd be i would be so and whenever she was unhappy at her job i would say your your company is so foolish because you know you're the person type of person i would want to work with yeah uh, if i ever start a business so and then later on she joined and and it was like the perfect storm and she just took over and from day one started developing new stuff and uh, the support was there and we were like killing it and I could not do much because I was still at a job because I was not sure uh, of how well this would do. And then uh, six months later, once we saw the growth, uh, we said, you know what, we have to dive both feet in. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So, so what brought you into the world of podcasting? Because you have your own show at the subscribe.me.fm, but what led you in to start writing books and then creating content in form of podcast? So the books was, book. my first book came in 2007, and it took nearly four years or something to write because back then I had a full-time <laughs> job. I was yeah. working you know, long hours. So every day I would write like one page. Uh, and then I, I got a job in New York City and I started commuting by train. So I would get like 45 minutes to an hour each way. So then my book started moving faster. I would mm-hmm. write 45 minutes to an hour on my laptop. Uh, and then so basically every every time somebody came to me and said, hey, what what is it you do? Can you tell me how like a friend or a family member? I, the, those questions started getting more and more. How do you do this? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. What, what What can I do online? What can I sell? So I said, you know what, I got to put all this. And I think it was my brother-in-law at the time who said, who first gave me the idea, said, you know, you should write a book someday. Mm. And that was a long time ago. And then one day it eventually popped into my head and said, you know what, I got to go through with this. And I started writing a book and it took me four, four years or so, but I finally got it out. There was no Kindle back then. So I started, you know, I published it as a real book and, uh, and that, that was a fantastic experience for me. Mm. And and around the same time, I think 2004, 2005, I started listening to podcasts. Back then, I didn't have an Apple device. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I had a Zoom. I had all kinds of other media MP3 players. And so I used to listen to the show called uh, uh, Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. You might have heard of it. One of he's still one of the you know biggest podcasts and show, uh, online shows. And he talks about technology and phones and this and internet and everything else. So I started listening to his show, and I always loved the talk show format. Yeah. Right from when I was a child, 
uh, we used to get a couple of channels. CNN was one of them, and I used to love the Larry King show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I used to love the way you know you could just sit down and have uh-huh. a deep conversation. Yeah. And in my mind, I always wanted to be the guest, not the. <laughs> <laughs> so because I always felt like it would be cool for me if somebody called me as a guest rather yeah. than me calling somebody and and telling them having them advise me and stuff like that. So I was more fascinated about the person sharing the, the information, right? Mm-hmm. So then I, I said I could do both, right? I could, I could also talk to people I love and talking to, people from whom I can learn, and I can also, even if I, nobody calls me on their show, I can still have my own platform to talk about stuff that I want to talk about, like yeah. digital marketing. I was not much, never much of a, a rah-rah guy where I talk about mindset on stuff, mindset all, I had all the thing and I had I had the mindset, I had the passion, I had the commitment. So I was not very much into advising people on mindset, mm-hmm. but I was I wanted to teach people on specifics on how to do a specific thing. Yeah. So given my background in you know creating code and content protector and download protectors and protecting content, dripping content, everything to do with digital marketing and content delivery, I said, you know what, my my podcast has to be about the same subject. And because it makes sense to extend in the same direction as what I'm already an expert in rather than yes. creating a, going into a new niche and trying to become an expert there. Yeah. So that's how I started my, and many years after listening to podcasts and finally I think 2015, I, I said, you know what, it's time. Because until then I had other priorities, working on DAP and, and everything else. So then I said, I gotta start my own podcast mm-hmm. and that's how subscribeme.fm came to me nice nice i love it and i know when you started your podcast you initially um had sponsors you made sponsorship money from sponsorship but then you stopped that almost immediately to focus on selling your own products and your own services and selling coaching and consulting so my question is this um well first of all before we even get to that uh I want you to share the story of uh, your meeting Ryan Dice and um, how that came about and uh, why that drew, drove you to start selling your own products and services as opposed to being just a creator. Right. So this is one of the uh, most interesting stories, <laughs> especially if you know Ryan Dice. And uh, unfortunately, we buried the lead there by giving away the name. But oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that you know the name, it's still an interesting story. So back in... Around 2001, 2002, uh, I had this baby name site, right? And uh, I had created my own contact us form. Mm-hmm. That's how primitive the web was back then. So think about that. If you needed a contact us form on your website, you had to hire a programmer. Yeah. Uh, because there was no easy way to to create a form, put it on, and get it emailed to you because there was no WordPress, no WordPress plugins, so to speak. So nothing you could do yourself. You had to literally buy code from somebody else and put it in yourself, or you could hire some a programmer to create it and install it on your site because you had to open the PHP file and say where should this email be sent to you had to customize the script so I created a script for myself and so this kid kid I didn't know he was a kid at the time so this this guy emails me and say and through my, that contact us form and says hey I'll, I love the contact us form on your on your site would you be willing to give it to me sell it to me, right? Until that time, it never once occurred to me in my head that I could actually sell this stuff. I was so focused on, 
on creating the baby name site, improving it, you know, selling more, promoting the link so I could sell more products by more of the digital version, the PDF, and how to get get in front of other sites. How to, I was focused on SEO and article writing and and uh, all these other things, except the fact that there was a gold mine right there in front of my eyes and I never recognized it. So yeah. that was the first time I was like, oh, I could do this. So I just I just looked up online and to see what other people were selling it for. There was like some people were selling it for 20 and 50 and it's like that. So I said, okay, 30. So I said, okay, let's send it. Uh, I'll sell it to you for $30. And he said, okay, done. So he sent me the payment. Uh, I don't remember how he uh, sent, probably PayPal. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I had to take the script on my site and and add comments to it, like change this email address below to point to your email address where you want the contents of the form to be sent and stuff like that. So I figured out how to make it easy for other people to install a script on their site. So soon thereafter, he comes to uh, the same kid comes to me, and he, uh, that by the time I already knew uh, by chatting with him online that he was in college. He was in like second or third year of college or something, mm-hmm. and um, he was trying to become an online entrepreneur. And uh, he was he started some a website which was like a resources thing which points which had links to a lot of different websites, and so he he says hey check out this website and he sends me to a website where once you go there, as soon as you go to the website you get this pop up. It, now it is not a, a HTML pop up. It was a JavaScript. You know how when you're filling out a form mm-hmm. if you make make a mistake it, you give, it gives you an alert saying. Yeah. Okay, cancel. That's that's called a JavaScript alert. Okay. And so you got this JavaScript alert on this website. And as soon as you, if you said, uh, it said, hey, would you like to join our email list? You said okay or cancel. And if you said okay, it would open up the email client on your website. So back then it was Eudora or Outlook. So it was not a web-based thing. There was no Aweber. Uh, maybe Aweber was there, but. It, there was no easy way to do these things, and yeah. it was not popular and super expensive. So this was like the basic of the basic, really low tech way of accepting an email. Because if you said okay, it would open up your client email client on your computer, mm-hmm. which is Eudora or Outlook or whatever it was you were using at the time, and it would pre-compose this email. So it's basically a mail to link in today's world. Yeah. Uh, if you clicked on it, the email client opens with the with the with the two email already filled in, and you just hit send, right? And then the person would take your email and add it to a list, and and stuff like that. So he said, "Can you create something like that?" So I said, "Of course, I've created something like this before." So I customized it a little bit, and I I think I sold it to him for like fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then uh, I'm, uh, we were talking, we were chatting, and he said. You know, I'm trying to create some, something like this of my own. I need a product of this because back then uh, he was dating his uh, wow. Now, now he, she's his wife, but back then she was his girlfriend. And he was like, uh, you know, I, I need to make money soon. I want to buy an uh, engagement ring for my my girlfriend. I want to propose to her. So he was looking for business opportunities. So at that time, I said, uh, you know what? Why don't you? I'll, I'll, by the time you know white label and private label rights, these were all big things back then. You could create something and you could sell private label resale rights to other people and make money. So I said, I'll sell you the resale rights to the script. Uh, why do, and uh, you can sell it on your own. So and, and he said, how much? So I said, five hundred dollars. 
So he was a kid and he thought about it and he said, okay, I'll pay you. So he paid me $500. And then before that, I had to, I forgot to mention. So when I, when I did the, paid him the, did the first script for him, mm-hmm. contact us and he installed it. He, it worked so well. So he, he sent me a tip. So on a $30 script, he sent me like $10 yeah. because he was so happy with it works right away. Yeah. And uh, I had never gotten a tip before that in my life because I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. So, but I was so thrilled that somebody would think that it's so cool that he was happy with me and, and uh, he would send this money even without being asked. Mm-hmm. So that was that was his mindset. So he was, a, he was an entrepreneur, budding entrepreneur even then. So later on, I sell, sell him the resale rights for my script for $500. And and I was I'm like yes I finally I I convinced somebody so I'm like my chest is puffed up I'm thinking I'm this really cool marketer dude who like did something phenomenal and wow I'm so proud of myself kind of thing right and then two days later all these email lists that I'm signed up to from different people mm-hmm. I see this guy promoting he renamed the the script that I had sold him and he started selling it. Wow. And he probably he probably made like five thousand dollars <laughs> within like a week. I was like, dude, I had the script, I wrote the script. I never once thought of approaching other people to do a partnership and sell it. And this guy, he was going all around town. He was talking about it. He was publishing and he was uh, writing articles and he created an entirely a new website about it. And he was partnering up with email list owners. And I was on those lists and I was getting those emails. Uh, with the buy links to buy and people are going nuts. Wow. I, was like, I created this and this guy's <laughs> killing me. He made like 20 times what I've, you know, what I thought I made from him. Yeah. And that's when I realized, you know, there's a, there's a different mindset if you, for somebody who's a marketer mm-hmm. or somebody who's a creator. So if you're always in, you know, the same thing they talk about, uh, are you going to create the shovels or are you going to dig for gold? Yeah. So I was always in a create, create shovels for the gold miners mentality yeah and it it worked probably worked during the gold rush because yeah. these guys sold a lot of things but guess who really 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 became rich the guys who struck gold yeah. the actual gold right yeah. so you always have to you know uh, of course not everybody has the same mentality as me because i was a developer and uh and a geek mm-hmm. uh, a programmer so everything i looked i wanted to create that on my own Instead of just using a, that that thing and marketing it and making money, so it took me a while to learn that lesson. Yeah. But but even now, um, there are people who will rather just keep researching about tools. Oh, is there a better better way to do this? Is there a better podcast host? Is there a better better membership plugin? What else can I do? How, so instead of just implementing what they know yeah. and just running with it and just nonstop massive action in actually promoting it because. In today's world, people don't need more content, right? Yeah. Everybody, there's so much content on Facebook, so many people with lead magnets and reports and everything else, and you can constantly get get lost in creation, 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 mm-hmm. and forget that you need to promote it too. Yeah, no, that that is that is a phenomenal lesson because it just shows you that sometimes you need to step out of just being the 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 person that you know moves the needle or what I call it being crack. the expert. Yeah, yeah being the, the expert and just be the front man, be the talker, be the marketer and, you know, start getting yourself and you're getting your product out there because that's the only way you know that, A, it can be viable as a business and it can also generate enough income for you to 
achieve your dreams and your lifestyle. I really love that lesson. So you do that, you start your own podcast, and then um, you know what? Like I said, you had sponsors and you gave that up, but you got coaching clients for that. So I'm looking right now at your at your your ebook, and it said because of your podcast, you were able to you know get sales of twenty one thousand dollars, and then um, revenue from coaching clients fifteen thousand dollars. And uh, affiliate commission two thousand two hundred. So tell us a little bit about how the podcast helped you get coaching clients because I'm sure a lot of people listening now will say, "Oh man, she has the podcast show. Ravi has a podcast show. If I open a podcast and um, start hosting and interviewing people, how am I going to be able to monetize this?" Right. So there are two ways to monetize your podcast, and a lot of people get stuck on number one, which is making money from your podcast directly. Mm-hmm. And I say that, that there's a difference between making money from your mm-hmm. podcast versus mm-hmm. making money because. because of your podcast. Yeah. And making money from your podcast is, is where most people focus all their attention on. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, I can, they see all these big podcasters with a lot of sponsors uh, on their shows and they say, okay, if I can get you know 10,000 listeners and I charge $10 a CPM, that's $100 per episode, and if I do three, five episodes a week, it's $500 a, a week and $2,000 a month. So they just make up all these numbers. And it's actually not very practical to, to just make money using sponsors because it's really hard to get, you know, for the average show, uh, it's very hard. You may not even have that much of an audience depending on what kind of a show you're doing. You can't look at the big shows and say, okay, I'll also do a podcast, an interview podcast, mm-hmm. because there's there's so many interview podcasts, right? Everybody is doing an interview podcast, so how are you going to set yourself apart? Yeah. It's Right? And not everybody is a talented uh, host like you are, right? Mm-hmm. You're asking such great questions and keeping me in, involved and engaged and telling great stories. Not everybody is able to do that. Mm-hmm. So ju- just everybody who thinks that I can, they can start an interview podcast and get a lot of traffic, they forget, regardless of what format your podcast is, the hardest part is still promoting the show, yes. getting getting your name in front of other people. Mm-hmm. Because if you start a podcast show, right, entrepreneur podcast show, how are people going to find you? Mm-hmm. So reverse engineer the process first. Think about what people will need to search for in order to find you. Mm-hmm. So if you say, I'm going to start an entrepreneur podcast show, if you go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any other thing and say entrepreneur interview, you're going to get like a hundred different podcasts before the, you, you you even shows up, and because you it, it, there's a lot of different algorithms used in how many, especially with Apple Podcast, about how many lifetime subscribers your show has gotten. Uh, so you have to do all. It's like a podcast SEO. Yeah. So you, you can't just create launch a website and show up number one on Google. Similarly, you can't launch a podcast and show up high in the top of the uh, search results on a podcast app. So. And, and no matter how much you promote it on Facebook in just your network, they'll get tired of it at one point. And, yes. uh, and, and if you have, even if you have like, you know, 5,000 friends, not everybody's interested in your podcast. Uh, you, you, uh, they may not be entrepreneurs, you know. Yeah. Uh, people will love to comment on personal photos and cat videos and dog videos, but they will not listen to your podcast. Yes. So you can't, you can't force your podcast on your friends, mm-hmm. Facebook friends. So the problem becomes how to promote your podcast. So that's where a lot of people fail because they're thinking, oh, I can't, if, I, if my podcast doesn't hit big numbers, then I can't get sponsors. Mm-hmm. And how else do they make money? And they fail at that and they part fade and they get disappointed. 
But a better way to do it is use your podcast as a way to connect with your potential customers mm. because you now have something to sell. Because the only way to really make money, you may not make enough money to retire rich, mm-hmm. uh, not like hitting a lottery, but you can still make a good enough money if you can find 1,000 true fans, yes. which is a famous article. Uh, I forget the name of the author, but Kevin, a- Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly, right. So he, uh, I talk about it a lot in my books and my podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Kelly and this concept of 1,000 true fans, where the idea is you don't need 100,000 people. You don't need millions of users. Yeah. You just need 1,000 true fans. And I'm actually a living example of that yeah. because when we started DAP, and we did not have millions of, we still don't have millions of users, mm-hmm. right? We don't even have hundreds of thousands of users. We have tens of thousands of users. Mm-hmm. And so you can create a very nice life for yourself and your family if you can get, you know, create something that at least a thousand people will need. And that's all you need, you know, if you create something that thousand people pay a hundred dollars, even just a year. Think about it very low end. If a thousand people pay a hundred dollars a year, that's how, that's a good living, right? For most people, hundred thousand dollars is a pretty pretty decent living. Then from there, you don't have to stop there. You can you know create more products to sell. You can increase the price. You can increase the conversion. You can increase the traffic, and you can easily turn hundred into five hundred and uh, a million and so on. But you can at least start with a nice life lifestyle if you want to be an entrepreneur. And if you if you want to quit your job, then it definitely starts with at least when it comes to a podcast, it starts with having products and services behind your podcast so mm. that you can make money because, because. of your podcast. So, so give us an example of the products. Well, apart from DAP, which we know, like your consulting and your coaching, what exactly do you coach and consult people that approach you because of your podcast? Right. So in the podcast, I'm constantly trying to prove my authority, right? And yes. expertise. I'm trying to show that I, I can help people with their own website. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they want to start a membership site, I have DAP. Um, we can help you set it up. I can coach you through it. And if you already have a membership site, some of my clients is basically uh, what they're doing is they're not all of them are DAP users, but I'm helping them with their take their business to the next level by helping them. Sometimes people like you basically go through the whole funnel, start to finish, and you coach them through. Okay, looking at your website, is it structured? That's the basic thing, right? Is it structured the right way? Yeah. Is, is the copy good? Do you have a sign-up form? Do you have the, all the sales elements that is needed to convert people? Sometimes people's homepages will be a blog, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go to domain.com, it'll be a blog. And blog is not a selling tool, mm. right? Blog mm-hmm. is a content marketing tool. Mm-hmm. It's Your homepage has to be a sales page, right? Yes. If you want to sell stuff, you cannot send people to your blog because if you sell them to your blog, they'll listen, they'll read your blog and go. Yes. Unless your blog, everything in your, all the content in your blog is geared towards selling your main product. Again, most people don't do that. Yes. So it's not just about telling people, you know, oh, I have a blog here, but you, ha- you have to have a sales page and before you have a sales page, you need to have a product to sell. So what is the product that you know you can create and you, what's uh, that you can deliver and for that for which you know what are the benefits and the features and selling the benefits, not the features. So mm-hmm. we go through I go through the whole process with them right from starting from their website, their marketing efforts, you know what are their 
how are they marketing? Are they building an email list? What are the autoresponders look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to address their whole marketing and product development too. Sometimes we look at the products and say, okay, why are you creating so many features? Why don't you stop now and ship this version right now mm-hmm. and, and see how it goes? Sometimes people will go and work on something for a year before ever showing it to anybody. Uh, even even with the podcast, people will say, I'm going to release with 20 episodes or 10 or 8, yeah. whatever. It doesn't make sense. Launch with one, right? Yeah. And uh, you, so you have to get feedback. You have to – so how do you find people who are interested in your product? How do you approach them? How do you create the MVP or minimum viable product? So we address every – I look at their businesses end-to-end, all aspects, email, autoresponder, sales page, copy, sales uh, elements on their website, uh, and their uh, email list-building efforts and social media marketing and what payment process are they using? Uh, how? What is the sales funnel? Where do, where do people go? What's their lead magnet? Is, is the lead magnet good enough? Mm-hmm. So I address everything end to end. And I got, you know, I have been, I have not been promoting my coaching services in to my DAP use clients because we they already coming to us anyway. Yeah. And you have, so I don't need to separately promote it. But on my podcast, I have my own platform, so I talked about it a few times. And I straight away got two clients. The, the very first day I announced it, I got two clients. Mm. Uh, and each of them paying $2,000 for my mm. coaching. And that, obviously, I have different tiers of coaching. And they uh, was, one is cheaper, one is more expensive. So the, a couple of them picked the middle option because the, of all the benefits that it came with and how much time they got with me and stuff. So it's you're constantly – podcast is such an amazing – authority and relationship building tool because on one side they're listening to you mm-hmm. in, in with their headset you so you're in their ears right you're yeah. in their you're in their head <laughs> so talking to them obviously you got to be good and you got to be provide you got to provide good content yes not going to listen to junk but <laughs> once you can do once you can provide them that and you every time you make them think laugh cry whatever it is your podcast is about mm-hmm. uh if once you can connect with them and they feel the value of what you bring to the table, then they're much more deeply connected with you than, say, if they were to just read a, one of your blog posts, right? It, sure, a text sure. is very impersonal, but yes, a podcast yeah. is much more personal. And obviously, video is the best in terms of engagement because they can look at you. Mm-hmm. They know what you look like. Yes, but, yes. but unfortunately, video, you can't you can't watch a video when you're driving. Yeah. Uh, you could, I guess, but you would not, you'll end up in the hospital. <laughs> And hopefully it maybe hurt others too. So you don't want to do that. And you, you can't watch a video when you're uh, like, you know, doing something else, washing the dishes or going for a run or you know, the gym or taking your dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. So, you can't, so that's why audio is so, so powerful. It has almost almost all the benefits of a video except for the, the, the visual cues. Mm-hmm. But it also has the more personal, long-form nature, offline nature that, uh, that cannot be uh, matched by any other medium. And that's, I believe that's why podcast is so much more powerful and that's why it's got me more coaching clients than any other media. Yeah, yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. Um, there, was, there was something I was going to ask you. But, uh, okay, yeah, so that brings me to your wonderful, wonderful product, which is Cool Cast Player. So um, I saw the uh, promotion you put up on uh, Facebook in one of the groups we were in, and I just took a look at it, and I love the product. So tell us a little bit about the development of that and um, how is it going and growing because it's one of the most beautiful-looking players I've come across 
for um, anyone who's doing an audio-based platform like a podcast show. Right. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah. So again, this goes back to my my curse, my blessing and my curse of <laughs> wanting to constantly create the shovel yeah. rather than <laughs> digging the gold. Yeah. So when I started my podcast in September, or at least when I started thought about starting a podcast uh, around September 2015, I was looking for players, right? And then I saw a couple of good players, actually one, only one good player at the time, and the rest were all really very basic, some were ugly. Mm -hmm. And if you, go, if you go to coldcastplayer.com in the video, I show you, actually even on the screenshots, I have uh, all the ugly players that, that people, web hosts offer by themselves. Um, and I said, there's no way that this is the market for players. There's got to be something better. I kept searching and I couldn't find anything. I was like, wow, this is such an underserved market. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, being the, 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 the hacker guy, the developer guy, I said, you know what, this is a great market to create something new in. And that's when I created Coolcast Player, which is a WordPress plugin. And knowing, you know, everything that I already had a similar plugin, I had already created one called S3 Media Vault, which integrates with, uh, for this is for membership site owners who want to create an audio file and put an audio player in the membership area and they want to host it on Amazon S3 mm -hmm. because then you will have security. So you can people cannot pass around the MP3 link. It's secure, it only works from the members area and so on. So I'd already created something similar, but it was not for a podcast. So yeah. when, I start, when I started the podcast, I realized the need for an actual feed player so that you, whether you're hosting with Libsyn or Podbean or any of the famous ones, Blueberry, SoundCloud, you wanted uh, a nice feed player that would put your entire playlist on your homepage uh, so that they don't have to click from page to page to page just to listen to five episodes. Mm -hmm. You want everything in one playlist and you want it on your homepage. So that's what I wanted to create. And so I took elements of the previous plugin and uh, I added the podcast features and that's how coolcastplayer.com came in. And it has the ability to both create feed play, the feed player for your entire podcast feed, as well as individual players. And it also has the Amazon S3 section feature, where if you want to put a player, nice, beautiful player in the members area of your membership site. Yeah. So if somebody has paid for your audio or your audio book, and you want to put a few audio players on in the members area only to be accessed by paying members, then you can do that too with Coolcast Player. Great, great, great. I love it. So as we're on the top of the hour, and I want to wrap up the show real quick and just um, get your your final words of wisdom because we've really talked a lot and I, I could stay with you and talk for hours and I just want to respect your time. So um, given everything you've said thus far about your entrepreneurial journey, um, I've told you that uh, this podcast, this show is listened to by people in the early stage of the entrepreneurial journey seeking to either start their first business or to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. So what's the one thing you think you could have done better if you could go back in time to do it all over again? Uh, move to the US sooner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, you have to know what, I think figuring out what you want to do is the hardest part for millennials these days. Yeah. So my, my daughter, she's in, she's a second year in college, she's reading computer science engineering so i know what uh, kids these days are thinking they're not sure there's so many opportunities at the same time so many mm -hmm. things that used to be easier 
in years before are, are harder now. Yes. Because back then, if you had a video course, it was a big deal. You are one of the you know few thousand people. Now you're one of the few hundred million people yes. who have a video course or a membership site or mm-hmm. a podcast. There's 500,000 podcasts compared to when I started listening, there were probably 20,000 podcasts. Yeah. So everything is harder, but the blessing is there's so many more tools. There's no Facebook back then. There's no YouTube. There's no Twitter to market. There's no AdSense. There's no to monetize. There's just like million more ways to sell stuff, make money online. So while the competition has gotten bigger, the tools have also gotten so much easier. A lot of them are free. Google Analytics, things you could not even imagine. Um, Even if you paid for it, you could not get back then. But they're all available. A lot of them are free. And with with a couple of hundred bucks, you could start a great online business. You don't need a lot of capital. And you can hire people from these freelancing sites for really cheap. Um, You don't have to pay, you know, hire somebody straight away for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You start with you know twenty fifty hundred dollars an hour, and you can get people to do freelancing. So the, the opportunities have increased, and competition has increased, but the ability to shine has also increased. Mm. Uh, very few people are doing, uh, you know, going all the way. People yeah. are, a lot of people are just worried about you know their Snapchat or Instagram are looking good and taking nice pictures of themselves. Very few people are going to the next step of. What's the point? What do what am I what am I building an audience for? Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you're in college, you still have the luxury of, uh, you know, having creating content for friends and family. But once you come out, the next step would be to figure out what is it that you want to do. Do you want to be an info infopreneur? Mm-hmm. Do you want to, so and start small. Don't don't start. Try to be a mega startup. Raise funds from investors. Don't worry about all that. Starts with fifty bucks. You know, yeah. get a domain. Uh, it's, hosting is easy. WordPress is so simple. Mm-hmm. There are drag and, drag and drop plugins, or use one of these SaaS uh, programs, and to create something really quick and test it and yeah. test the concept. It is so easy to run Facebook ads for five, starting with you know a few dollars and um, test the concept and build a list right, right from day one. That's the that's probably my biggest regret is I, I I did build a list right. So when I saw when I launched DAP in 2008, mm-hmm. I had. 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. Today, today we have over 100,000 people in our list. Wow. But but even then, 1,200 was you know happened because I, I started building a list by putting a form, but I never really focused on building a list and and spent I did not spend hours and hours and hours figuring out how to increase my list. I just put up a form and whoever signed up signed up. It was I did not ha- it was not the focus. So I would say uh, build a list, test test uh, the, your product concept really quick. Try to go to participate in Facebook groups, not just posting junk on Facebook, saying, you know, reply with a GIF how you're feeling yeah. right now. Yeah. Or don't post, you know, time wasting stuff. Uh, you, it can suck up your whole day, and you you end up with accomplishing nothing. Instead, participate, go join specific groups on topics that you are interested in, or you're interested in the products that you're creating. So I used to go to the Warrior for a long time ago, and and learn about what people's uh, challenges are. When so go where your potential audience is hanging out, talk to them, start a podcast, and only because and start a blog only because not to become make not to become rich with your podcast sponsorship, but because it'll allow you to uh, come up with the ideas and thoughts and be able to uh, streamline your thoughts. And w- once you go into these forums, see figure out what their challenges are, try to answer their questions, try to learn from them, 
see what people are concerned about and see if you can create a product or service along those lines. Start small. Don't worry about making millions of dollars. Those things will come. Mm-hmm. Start small. Dream big, but start small. That, that's my... Yes. And I, yeah. I, I love that statement because even if, you can almost start a podcast for $50. Get with domain name, get the art, intro, outro, yeah, you buy a cheap and bike, host... Eight, eight yeah. You, don't, you don't even, that's the thing. You don't even need an intro outro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, true. You start the podcast saying, Hey, my name is so-and-so. Here's, this is the podcast. True. Some of the best podcasts I listen to don't have any music in the beginning. Yeah. They just get right into the show and you can, even if you want music, you, you can get it for $10 mm-hmm. on uh, audio jungle. Uh, and you, you can just put, plug it in a mm-hmm. nice guitar music or jazz or whatever you like mm-hmm. rock. You can just put it in and uh, five seconds later, get into the, get into the meat of the content. People don't care about, too much fancy stuff anymore. Nobody yeah. has the time. Even I have a podcast episode about that as well, saying why most webinars suck. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take a look at it on uh, subscribeme.fm. I talk about how people take so long to get into the actual content. True. Even with YouTube videos, yeah. there's uh, 10, 15 seconds of music in the beginning. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Tell me what I need to know. And then when they get in the, if it's a video about showing how to do some software, uh, this use this feature of a software product, They'll talk for five minutes about why they need the software. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, I'm already using the software, so you don't need to tell me why I need it. Tell me about the feature that you promised that you would tell me, right, or, or how to use it. So if you are doing a how-to video or pretty much anything, get right into the meat. Uh, don't talk for 10 minutes about the weather on your podcast. Don't give long extended intros. Get, yeah. get, get to get to the point real quick. Cut to the chase. That's actually one of my other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> cut to the chase is important. Yeah. Great. Great. And um, the final question for the day is, what are your favorite tools, books, um, software, forums that have helped you become a better entrepreneur over the years? Uh, book, tools, of course, WordPress, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I use uh, Camtasia Studio, which I use for creating videos. And I also edit my, I record my podcast uh, also using Camtasia. And um, I use Alphonic.com, which is a, a two hours free every month mm-hmm. to to boost my audio and it, it removes uh, noise and levels the soft audio and stuff like that. And oh, there's so many more. Uh, I use Cam, Dreamweaver, uh, Adobe Dreamweaver. You're still so using okay. You're still using Dreamweaver for my PHP code. Yeah. Okay. okay. Not not for HTML. Yeah. Okay. Nowadays you don't need to dabble with HTML at all. Yeah. Uh, because of WordPress and other tools, but uh, I, I do use uh, it used to be Camtasia, uh, something else, Macromedia Dreamweaver. Now it's Adobe. Um, and uh, I guess that those are the main tools. I use powtoon.com, which is for creating animated uh, sales videos and for presentations. Uh, of course, digitalaccesspass.com, which is the membership plugin. That's the, uh, so WordPress and DAP are the two two big ones that I, I use myself. Yeah. DAP allows you to accept payments, automate the membership uh, site, create the members area, give them uh, access to login and password and self-serve and uh, different courses and different, you know, all the, all the good stuff. And then Coolcast player, of course, for the for the podcast, uh, um, player and audio player. And let me see. And it's so easy to use word, Microsoft word or something equivalent and convert it to a PDF. Now you have a Kindle book. You can, mm-hmm. you can write a Kindle book in three hours yeah. today. It doesn't have to be, you know, 200 pages long. If you can tell me specifically one thing that I can do well, 
and write it in 30 books, 30, 30 words, uh, I'm sorry, 30 pages, mm-hmm. you, have, you have a fantastic book. So go and put it out there, put out a podcast, put out a Kindle book, put out a blog, and, and do, you know, when everybody else is zigging, you zag. Zag, yeah. So those are some of the tools, I guess, and uh, there's so many in my, my uh, online arsenal, I can't even think of everything right now. <laughs> okay. so WordPress, DAP, and Camtasia, and Powtoon would be the main ones, I guess. Yeah. Great, great, love it. And um, as we're at the end of the show, I really want to thank you for coming to share your words of wisdom, talk about your business and your experience, Ravi. So tell us where can people find you and get to know more about you, and of course, test out or possibly even buy some of the products you have. Sure. So you subscribe me.fm. So that's my podcast website. If you go there, you can contact me from there. You can take a look at my handsome face <laughs> on the homepage. And uh, you can you can listen to my podcast right there on the homepage through the uh, audio player. And you, I have listed all my, my reports, my free reports, my paid reports, my Kindle books, my uh, software products. Everything is listed on that page. So Subscribe me.fm is the best plus to reach me. Great. And I'll link to that in the show notes uh, once this podcast goes live. So thanks a lot for coming to share your story, Ravi. I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this. I know it's a bit over the hour, but uh, <laughs> when you're having fun, time flies. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, <laughs> thank you for having me and uh, great questions. They're all so interesting. That's why we could keep talking for hours, I guess. And uh, And that's the thing about being passionate about something when people can't get you to shut up, right? Yeah. So once you get me going, I, I could keep talking for hours and uh, until somebody says, okay, you're over the time. I have to stop. Uh, go back, get back to work. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.